The road to consciousness, we will figure out the biggest mystery in human history. How can we have this internal, subjective, rich experience of life, yet not know from the physical workings of the brain how or where consciousness arises? We're going to do it by putting things into two categories. One, knowledge. Theories or we have enough data that we can classify something as truth and then making assumptions. Otherwise, we will go around in circles. Today, specifically, I wanted to talk about, well, a question. Can you have process and function without consciousness? This goes to the heart of the philosophical zombie that one day there might be a zombie, or according to zombie movies, maybe, that looks like us acts like us, does everything you would associate with a conscious being, but isn't actually conscious. You could even ask them, are you conscious? I would say yes. So internally, they have all of these processes, the, the brain, neurochemistry, and the functions of the brain, but they're just not conscious. And it, they might even think they're conscious. This also touches on robotics and machines. Will one day AI or machines in general, given enough processing power, enough of the their version of the neurochemicals and pneumochemistry and the electrical signals, will they get to the point where they just become conscious? Is there a tipping point? It's hard to imagine. Uh, currently, the answer is no. But that is also a set of electrical processes leading to functions that machines do and even robots that could look like us. But internally, will they be conscious? Again, you could ask the robot. We've all you know, heard of the androids. We've all had movies, science fiction, loves to dabble in this. Uh, and it could look exactly like us. My favorite movie is Terminator 2, one of my favorite movies. Um, the other one's Predator. Yes, I'm an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. In that, you you know, it could be very human-like from the outside and it could display or human even determine learns emotions. It could learn to display emotions. It could feel things or theoretically feel things. It could have that process. It could have those functions, but it's just not conscious. Or maybe one day we will. It's just hard to imagine that someone goes and invents although skynet would say that artificial intelligence could take over but someone goes to the point where they're just adding process and function more and more transistors more and more electrical components uh, more silicon and at some point i don't know what that point is all of a sudden it you have a conscious being in front of you it's kind of hard to imagine because a lot of people say that yes process and function is completely separate to consciousness but if it's separate then then what is it it's a layer above maybe and going to the brain the brain is exactly that and the brain of the zombie or our brain has those processes and function it has the electrical signals between the neurons it has the neurotransmitters that send those signals between the neurons uh, as well so all of this is a, a, an ongoing uh, function that your brain has. It could have nothing to do with the fact that you're conscious. Um, taking a step back though, the brain or at least our understanding of the brain coming from both neuroscience and psychology, mainly psychology when it started to become its own scientific discipline went through you know phonology which people thought that the regions of the brain in terms of the lumps had some sort of meaning to the functions that we have as humans 
uh, and then went to structuralism that the structures of the brain and the way that it's organized have relation to our behaviors and our functions. They went to functionalism where a lot of the technology we started to be able to look at the brain or associated uh, when things went wrong in certain people. Phineas Gage is the most, <laughs> uh, I would say, classic example. I've heard Phineas Gage's name almost every single time you take any psychology or psychology video because he was one of the first where a metal rod i believe in it was i don't know 1838 they were building the railroads at that time went through the front region of his brain directly through the prefrontal cortex and a doctor followed him around he survived <laughs> so there was a big hole in his head but a doctor followed him around. He walked himself to hospital, by the way. I walked, you know, a doctor followed him around and his behavior completely changed. So we started to understand that regions of the brain functionally give us our behaviors. And then he went to behaviorism where we understand certain stimuli to the brain in the different areas give us our behaviors. This was very psychology-based. This was trying to understand human behavior. So behaviorism sort of came into play. Um, and that was where we are at today we understand that there's certain parts of the brain that if it lights up that you send electrical signals you send the neurochemicals will result in different behaviors so stimulate the behavior now we could still do this with the philosophical zombie there's regions of their brains that's lighting up you know the the prefrontal cortex is probably i would say one of the regions that is discussed a lot when we talk about behaviorism because that was the part that phineas gage got disrupted and you know he went from being an, a normal functional human to very erratic behavior and very aggressive and much more primitive behavior that part of the brain was one of the later ones to be developed it is your personality it is the way that you see yourself uh, it's executive planning it's functional sort of planning um so when we make decisions, when we decide to do something, when we're planning something, our executive behavior, our social skills, a lot of it come from the prefrontal cortex. It is one of the later ones of the brain to be developed, which evolutionarily makes sense. We are the species that have a lot of this understanding of society, have an understanding of obviously uh, the world. We're able to reason about things. So functionally, that region of the brain gives us that behavior. Um, now, the question is, can we have that without consciousness? If you took consciousness away from us, will we still, will, will we still behave the same? It's a very hard question to answer. Um, I guess we're asking, is consciousness a process of the brain? Is it a function of the brain? Um, we don't know. <laughs> is the short of it but can we not experience life and still walk around and do everything we do day to day will we still plan tomorrow uh will we still think about things a lot of the cognitive functions that you have is the prefrontal cortex a lot of the other cortexes like the motor cortex they all have a a primary motor cortex and an association cortex so so you're in your frontal lobe that primary motor and association cortex is is right there uh one of them the primary gives you the ability to actually uh, execute on the function so it has a the homunculus uh, which is the regions of your body mapped out to allow you to execute motor functions. The association gives you that planning aspect. 
The same with your visual. The occipital lobe has a primary visual cortex and an association cortex. The primary visual takes the stimuli coming in, but to actually interpret it and understand it, the association cortexes then do, like, what does it actually mean? So these are all an example of process and function. Uh, you take in the electromagnetic waves, it goes you know, through your retina, through your eyes, it goes all the way to, it's carried all the way from the neurons to the back, uh, to the uh, occipital lobe. This is a process and the function kicks in and you see something and then it goes to two different regions, the what and the where, uh, so that your, associate, your visual association cortexes is like V1 to V6, will then interpret what it actually means for you. And then that's the stimuli. That stimuli is part of the process of the function. And the function is whatever comes out of the behaviors. You might see someone you recognize. And I believe that uh, takes a different track post the occipital lobe, post the primary visual cortex to an association cortex. And it, it's not a spatial one. So it goes in a different, the, the ventral track. And you decide who it is. You recognize that person. And then there's certain behaviors associated with that. This is behaviorism where you might want to say hello, right? And there's a whole range of, of whatever stimuli came in and leading to that behavior. There's a whole separate range, obviously, of even saying hello. Uh, it comes through back to the prefrontal cortex, I would assume, and then goes to your broker's area. Now, the broker's area is responsible for the muscles involved in speech. So just saying hello had a whole different um oh, I almost knocked the microphone over i'm getting very handy hand wavy and very visuals that you can't see on the podcast these days um where was i so there's a whole separate f process and function to the broker's area <clears throat> which controls the muscles of speech for you to say hello Nowhere in that have I talked about experience. What is it actually? What what did it mean to experience that visually seeing somebody, recognizing that person and saying hello to them? None of that has an experience. So judging by, well, the experience would, I would say, would be the feeling associated. We've talked about the emotional significance of it. There is, a, there is an internal emotional experience that you have when you see somebody because you've recognized them. If you don't rec even if you don't recognize someone, you have an emotional response. Now, and some of that primitive emotional response comes from the hypothalamus. So again, it's a bit of a function and maybe your amygdala kicks in. Maybe there's a fear associated with somebody you don't know. Uh, the hippocampus, although I don't think that's more of the, the short-term to long-term memory. I believe the memory for this is in a part of a different area. But what would it mean to not experience something when you see that person? Even if you don't know them, you experience something. So I guess it's a very close correlation. Is it a causation and are they completely tied together? For us, obviously, yes, because we're conscious. But if we took out that experience, could you, would you still say hello <laughs> is really the question. Um, it's, a it's, it's clearly a tough one to answer because I, the whole podcast has been trying to answer this and this is the step function that people talk about when they say the hard problem of consciousness uh, will we ever have a philosophical zombie i don't think so i think zombie is obviously associated with a lot of a different like brain dead <laughs> right with a virus that maybe kills our consciousness i don't know 
Probably not. I'm going to assume not. Will we ever have a machine that's conscious? That's another very super interesting question. Because now it touches on, is there something to do with the wet work? Is there something to do with the biology of life that has given us consciousness that machines would just never have? They are always going to be process and function. And I seem to get more passionate when we're talking about this track. Because I'm still holding on to that biology. And John Cyril is a big advocate. He's a philosopher that's a big advocate of this. That there's something to do with the biology of life. Specifically that's given us this experience. And no matter how much processing power we throw at computers. No matter how fast computers get. No matter how many hertz and billions, millions, gigabits, trillions, whatever. uh, They can process no matter how many of those transistors we can pack into a tiny space. And have them communicate with each other and send electrical signals. That it's not going to hit a certain limit that, that, that AI or that machine is going to become conscious. No matter how close a robot gets to acting like human, it still wouldn't have the experience of life. It can detect electromagnetic, electromagnetic waves. It may have the eyeballs to do that. It can go back to, let's say, they even mimic the brain to the way that they set up the transistors to even look like a human brain. And there's a um, a visual tract that goes, um, neural pathway that goes all the way back into the back of the head, into what they even call an occipital load that has a bunch of transistors and maybe even has a memory slots and memory ports. And that those electrical signals are recognized and is able to scan through a thousand faces or a billion faces in a split second because it has so much processing power and it can identify an image that it sees and the colors and identify an image and say i know who this person is and it then triggers a separate set of processes remember a computer will can only do a separate uh, it's algorithmically geared which means it's a very specific set of instructions that it's executing And it can do that so fast that it can mimic human behavior in the sense that it could then process a different subroutine. And that algorithm would say, if you recognize this particular person, if you have it in your memory as you're in your database, you know this person, you need to trigger a a different set of electrical signals that will then process some sort of mouth mimicking the broker's area and say hello. (laughs) None of that means that it would have an affinity to that person, that it would feel something for that person. It might even mimic a feeling. Uh, Maybe it would smile while it's saying hello. It's only because it's got associations between smiling and knowing that person and saying hello. It doesn't need, need to have an internal experience to do that in any way. Now, this is very, very difficult because we are only ever be able to see that robot from the outside. There's no actually, you could ask it, how did you feel when you saw that person? First of all, you could ask it, do you, did you recognize that person? It would say, yes, I'm trying to mimic a robot voice. You could ask it, did you experience something? What did you feel when that person... And again, it's making associations between the words you're saying and it's processing some sort of... And this is where AI is coming from. It's probably learning what it's supposed to do at that time and it's saying, I experienced happiness. But 
it's like it's a mapping that it's having between recognizing someone and what it should say in response to a question it's processing your question some sort of natural processing that it's doing for the language and then it's still so there's no inherent feeling that it had there is no and judging by everything i'm just saying the answer is no i do not i agree with john cyril in the sense that i'm not sure without some kind of now it might not be life i don't want to jump to this conclusion maybe it's not biology but whatever has given us this internal experience it's not all about process and function there is something else happening in our brains and this is again the hard problem of consciousness or the road to consciousness you could call it this is the big mystery in human history we have somehow gotten an experience of life that's internal that's rich that's subjective that helps us see the and experience the color orange that's not just a process and a function our brains are just electrochemical signals being distributed in a very organized very algorithmic manner there is an experience attached and unfortunately i would love honestly i would love the robot overlords i know this is going back to sort of t2 but if robots and a lot of this has been sort of talked about for a very long time now if robots did become self-aware this is what the self-aware term means and self is another interesting concept we've talked about many times but we're assuming the same thresholds that make computers conscious at some point will then make them self-aware which means they kind of understand who they are in relation to their environment and they also understand internally what it means to be them they have an experience of themselves i'm saying it's not going to happen but i also wish it to happen (laughs) because i think that would just unlock the door to so much but what does it mean for us to be human can would you be able to differentiate between an android what if they took there's more questions philosophical questions that this flows on to let's just ask one of them one of my favorite ones is what happens if let's say they break you down to the individual atoms or the individual subatomic particles or whatever the smallest unit is i'm not sure we know yet but let's say they broke you down they broke your actual atoms down let's just talk atom at that level yes we understand it's made of smaller parts like quarks and the nucleus and the protons and and neurons and things like that uh neutrons and stuff like that um let's say they broke you down into each one of those and sent you teleported you or just re sort of brought you up somewhere else if they did the actual atoms themselves they're transferring you so theoretically you could almost say that that person is still you that you would have the sense of yourself and who you are they could also send the information which is sort of cloning right if they sent only the information that was stored and sort of brought you up somewhere else would that person be you would that have a different you would that be aware of itself would that even be conscious that's a really good question to ask and that's kind of the touching on the dualism if consciousness is something from the physical workings of the body and the atoms and the quarks then if it's different then we could transfer you we could transfer the information but that person wouldn't have a consciousness that person might then become some sort of philosophical zombie because your consciousness is separate from the physical workings of the brain however 
if we if it's not and we're all physical and all materialism then it would theoretically could be a different version of you and it could have a different sense of self would it have a different consciousness even again leads on to questions like what if we took that information and information really is just a configuration right we could map out exactly which atom belongs to where in which position now we don't have this processing power but one other angle of this if we did generate enough computing power to upload somebody's information and configuration about every single data bit of their body and assuming everything physical and material we could then upload that to the cloud <laughs> and store that somewhere or store it on a machine somewhere what would that mean that's just information that's just bits that's converting our energy and our configuration to a set of zeros and ones but then retransferring it somewhere or reconfiguring it let's say a, a magical 3d printer then takes all those bits and actually creates the the subatomic particles and creates the particle creates the atoms can creates the elements that make up your body and sort of reconstitute you i think that will then answer the question so many questions will be answered if we could do this but we know we're near that so theoretically we could store ourselves as information and repurpose ourselves into a, another version of us basically or break us down in another version of us these are all interrelated questions because what happens to our consciousness what happens to the fact of self now self from the phenomenology point of view you can only have one version of self <laughs> If they cloned you, you can't both claim to be you. <laughs> That's, it goes against the the epistemology of the 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 the, the truth about what it means for self. Uh, so these are all what philosophers think about. <laughs> welcome, welcome to what philosophers sort of uh, thought experiments. Uh, this is basically the thought experiments because it opens up questions that we don't have answers to. And technology isn't there yet. Zombieism, I don't even know if that's a word, is there yet. <laughs> we haven't seen zombies. Although the angle of zombies is obviously a virus and things like that. But could there be a virus that takes away our experience? Maybe that would mean that it's all physical. Um, we covered a lot because every single touch point, and this is sort of why we almost end up back going around in circles, it's, it comes back to all that, the big question of function, uh, sorry process leading to some kind of function leading to experience and i've kind of broken it down with experience and meaning uh, meaning is more of how i see our prefrontal cortex going back to the prefrontal cortex this seems to be some sort of hub at least of how we understand life how we give it meaning how we understand self i'm going to even say time is understood in this region all of the other regions of the brain seem very geared towards our bodily functions obviously our five senses in interpreting the association cortex what it what, i don't want to say what it means but at least the uh, this is where it's the question is is it localized consciousness or is it distributed localized meaning maybe there's a region of the prefrontal cortex that will we haven't discovered how it works and then boom yep prefrontal cortex is a is a source of consciousness everything goes through there now there are areas where things just go through like the um the thalamus or inner room a lot of the internal all of the kind of information that flows to different parts of the brains goes through the thalamus that seems a little bit more of the the basic i don't want to say basic because it's very complex um, it seems more of the general functioning the claustrum 
is another region of the brain where a lot of in information comes in after it has gone through that process and function. So maybe it's the classroom. Let's say we develop some sort of, not develop, but eventually we figure it out. And yep, that's the region. Or is consciousness a distributed factor, which means there are elements in different regions of the brain and maybe it's all of the association cortexes because they're doing the association. But again, computers do very good association, so it's more than that. Maybe, but those association then lead to some kind of distributed um experience that we have and consciousness is more distributed like a cloud in the brain um that multiple different regions of the brain all sort of pitch in or all are part of a whole of consciousness so emergence as in the sum of the parts of different regions of the brain give us this conscious experience which is more like a cloud <laughs> right in our brain or even global workspace theory is that like depending when the spotlight is that's where our consciousness kind of just comes to the forefront this is the big open question the distributed versus localized i just talked a lot about the prefrontal cortex clearly evolutionary that's the part that gives us what we associate with human behavior uh, psychology is a lot based in the prefrontal cortex uh, you know, mapping executive functions, our thinking and cognitive functions. But that, like I said, doesn't necessarily give us that experience factor. A lot of people have said it's much more primitive regions of the brain that even the rectal formation, which is part of the old brain and closer to the brainstem, that we know gives us the level of consciousness when you go under anesthetic and manipulating how just the level like are we fully conscious are we not conscious or it's that area that's being manipulated so a lot of people say what about that <laughs> but that seems to be more of a level thing than it is like the experience part of it so it's interesting to think about i think about this a lot deep diving between exactly what that those functions are and, and what is experience it is strongly tied to emotion in some sense like we have emotional experiences every every single little part of life how small you think it is or how i don't want to say how actively conscious you are or not uh whether you're doing anything in life there is an emotional factor associated with it it's just that you don't notice it because it might be so small but the ones that are significant play a, such a bigger role in our lives that it leads on to more of the experience factor that we have. Going back to the example we use, if you see someone that you have an affinity for, that you have an affection for, there is such a broader range of a response that you have. And it's not just hello. It is hello with a hug or, if, you know, you're displaying that affection and emotion, but it's happening to you physiologically. When you see someone you love, like it's off the chain, right? You, you feel better. Your heart rate may increase. You may start to sweat. You just get all of these ex previous experiences that you've had with them come back and you feel something for that person that is not easily sort of uh, captured through function <laughs> and i suspect that that is the breaking it down that is the key point that we're trying to understand above and beyond the function the affinity and experience that i just don't see anywhere else in terms of like machines or philosophical zombies or even like yeah and i think that part is super fascinating to think about and that's what i've been thinking about